Welcome to the Tales from Auburn Creek. I'm Kevin Rader. One question you always get when you work in the media is, how did you get started in this? Most will tell you about getting experience during college and then an internship and so on. Mine actually started much earlier than that. As I've always said, God made sure that I was fed in the early years, but he was about to teach me how to fish. And that changed everything. As you hear in this installment, Tales from Auburn Creek, entitled, I was at a crossroads, hard to believe now, looking back that that could be the case. I was only 15, but so many things had changed in my life in the last year. I can't remember what class I was sitting in when my future literally walked in the door. He was a short, round, middle-aged, balding man. As a high school guidance counselor, not accustomed to classroom counselors, maybe more adept to the one-on-one discussions behind closed doors in his office. So this announcement was brief. A local radio station in the neighboring town of Jefferson is looking for someone who would be willing to work on the radio on weekends. If you're interested, come and see me in my office, he declared. For that, he thanked the teacher, pivoted, and walked out. I have often said, I did not pick this business. This business picked me. This is the day that that happened, and it literally changed my life. After school, I walked into Mr. Stanley's office and told him I was interested. His response still gives me pause almost 50 years later. He said, you were the reason that I walked into that classroom. The interview at the radio station was brief. Randy Stevens ran a small thousand watt daytime radio station. That meant it signed on when the sun came up and signed off when it went down. Basically, Randy, who was getting on in years, did not want to work weekends. He wanted someone else to roll the taped programming, vacuum the floor, and clean the bathrooms. In other words, he needed someone with a pulse. If I was willing to do all that, I could be a country music DJ. There was only one small problem. How did I get there? I wasn't old enough to draw. My grandparents lived there, so I ran home to tell my aunt, who I was now living with, If she would call her dad and ask if he'd be willing to come and get me on Friday nights and bring me back home Sunday night after work. His answer was an enthusiastic yes. My career was underway. I was not very good and, of course, certainly not very professional. I remember one time falling asleep during a taped program that was supposed to last 30 minutes. There were two 30-minute shows on that reel-to-reel tape, and when I woke up, the tape had completely run off the reel, and the phone was ringing off the hook. I assumed my career was about to end. I quickly started a record on the turntable. Maybe it was Ronnie Millsaps, that girl who waits on tables. You know, I don't remember. I cleared my throat and tried to answer the phone as professionally as I could after my mid-morning snooze, only to hear my grandfather ask, Are you okay? I haven't heard anything for about 50 minutes, so I just wanted to check in and see if you were all right, he queried. I told him I was fine and appreciated the call. I appreciated it more than he would ever know. I should add, that call makes me smile today because he was the only one listening. Granddad's oldest son, my father, Sonny, died at the tender age of 25. I was not born yet when Sonny was killed in a car accident. All I know is that I jumped for every opportunity I could to get to spend time with Granddad. I only hope he knew what a great influence he was on my life. 
the biggest surprise when I started working in radio was how nice everyone was. I'm sure it had something to do with not having to work weekends anymore. But they were all so good at their craft, their voices so polished and professional. But one stood out above the others. I can only remember him by his first name. It was Jim, a middle-aged man with dark hair and a slight build with a voice that sounded like it came straight from God. Of course it did, but I still couldn't help but wonder why he was working in such a small market. I was about to find out. It was a Saturday and I was supposed to lock the front door so no one else could get in when I was working, but I had a tendency to leave it unlocked so friends could visit if they wanted to. On this day, Jim was more than pleased to find it unlocked. I was spinning records and really into being a DJ, and actually, I grew to love it. The music grew on me. Willie Whalen, Eddie Rabbit, Tanya Tucker, Merle Haggard, Conway Twitty. I really did enjoy it. I was 15 years old and living the dream, or so I thought. I noticed him enter the production room just off the studio on my right. There was a glass window which allowed me to see into the front lobby. He was carrying several buckets of paint and a handful of brushes, which I thought was odd, but I was too caught up in my shit to concern myself with it. Hi, Jim, I said. He waved and started messing around with his paint. A couple of hours later, the phone rang. It was Randy Stevens, the general manager. He asked how it was going and then made some minor requests that I said I could certainly handle, and the conversation was almost over when I added, Randy, I don't know why you've decided to have the station painted while it was on the air. My eyes are watering. I can barely get through this shift, I shared. There was a long pause on the other end of the line. Paint? He questioned. Yeah, Jim is in here painting today. And what color? He interrupted. Oh, kind of a baby blue, I responded. Oh, my God, where is he now? Randy asked. He's in the production room, I answered. Now listen carefully to me, Randy said. I want you to get up and lock the door so he cannot get into the studio here. That was a hard thing to do because now Jim was standing right on the other side of the window, brush in hand, staring directly at me. He was not threatening in any way, just watching me. The rooms were supposed to be soundproof, but at that moment, certainly didn't feel that way. Randy interrupted our stare down. Lock the door, his voice boomed from the wall phone next to the DJ booth. I stood up and inched my way toward the door, which was about three steps to my right. Jim watched my every step, and he watched as my hand inched up slowly to turn the bolt lock on the studio door. His expression did not change when we both heard the lock click. I'll be right there. Don't let him in the studio, Randy declared as I sat back down in the chair, still locked in Jim's gaze. For the next several minutes, I just played one song after another, saying absolutely nothing on the radio. Then in what seemed like forever, two police officers entered the production room. Randy was with them. They were carrying something I'd never seen before. I would later be told it was a straitjacket. Jim did not put up a struggle as they put it on him, but he kept looking at me. I could hear him telling Randy that he was about done painting as they took him out the door. I couldn't help but wonder if he thought I'd betrayed him in some way. I have to admit, I've seen those eyes before. 
You feel like they're reaching out to you, but you have no idea what they're trying to say. Help us feel. I didn't know Jim all that well, but I knew those eyes, and I thought I knew where they might be headed. Randy asked me to unlock the door, so I did. I sat back down in my chair, trying to process what I just witnessed. Are you okay? He asked. Yes, I said. Did he hurt you? No, he didn't bother me at all, I said in his defense. There's no way Randy could have known my familiarity with what I just witnessed. After all, I was only a teenager. Life can be a cruel teacher. Well, I guess I'll have to paint the rest of the station now, Randy said, as he looked back over his shoulder at the haphazard baby blue paint job on the walls. Do you paint, he asked. No, I answered. He again shared how glad he was that I was all right. What prompted all that, I asked. He gave me some vague answer to pacify his teenage employee and then left. I don't know if there was some history that led to what I just witnessed, but I knew a lot more than I let on. I wondered if I would ever see Jim again, and if I did, where it might be. One thing I did know is that radio waits for no man. The song was airing, and it was about to end, so I queued up the next one, Tom T. Hall on the turntable, and hit the start switch. I love winners when they cry, losers when they try, music when it's good, and life, and I love you too. This is Kevin Rader. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of The Tales from Auburn Creek. If you're interested in sponsoring any of our podcasts, please contact Raider Media at yahoo.com. You can also choose to become a Patreon for as little as $3 a month to help ensure future episodes. The intro and tag music, Tennessee's Got a Whiskey for That, is courtesy Cali Indiana. Other episodes are available at RaiderMediaLLC.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.